back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. And now a short line drive punt. Anthony Gould makes the catch at the 20. Comes up a seam to the 30. At the 35 to the 40. Gould looking for a block. And Anthony Gould is on his way down the left sideline. 10-5 and in. Anthony Gould. Touchdown Beavers on the punt return. And the Beavers lead it 40-14. to of memorable calls from Mike Parker this year on the Beavers Sports Network from Learfield. He is the voice of the Beavers. The Beavers have a chance at 10 wins. They take on Florida Saturday in Vegas and uh, looking forward to hearing Mike's call. Mike, great to talk to you once again. Thanks for joining us and how are you? Judah, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on the show. I have just found a place that has been elusive for me during my several days at uh, the beautiful The Virgin Hotels here uh, just off the strip in Vegas, namely the media room to pick up credentials, which will be important for my entry into (laughs) Allegiant Stadium here in a couple of days. But I found it. I'm glad to be here and glad to be on with you and was really glad to hear that call. That goes way back. And little did we know then, even though Anthony Gould's return there and that memorable event at Providence Park got the Beavers off to the type of start they needed to be at 3-0. and And I, little did we know that, that that was just part of what would be for Anthony Gould, first-team All-America status. Wow. Good for Anthony. You know, Anthony Gould is a first-team All-America as a punt returner and just one of many great storylines during the course of the year in that 3-0 and now 9-3 and three with a chance for the Beavers to get a 10th win. It's been delightful to be down here. The Las Vegas Bowl people are doing an amazing job with the event. Uh, the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl at Allegiant Stadium. We've been down here two other times in 2003 and in 2009. And just at, from an organization level, the events, uh, the spirit, the feel uh, that the Bowl people have put on for, for the guys for both teams has been tremendous. And now we're just looking forward to it culminating in the early kickoff Saturday for the Beavs, hoping to get to 10-3. and three. You know, as you say that, Mike, it's a little surreal for me because I had you on my weekend radio show uh, leading up to the game at Providence Park and uh, in the game with Montana State. And we were talking mm-hmm. about what would the significance be of that Fresno State victory. And part of your answer, I remember, was, well, we'll see. First of all, <laughs> if the Beavers right. end up winning nine or ten games, we'll be looking back on that Fresno State win and being like, yeah, that was pretty massive for the program. Lo and behold, yeah, absolutely. here we are. Yeah. yeah, and all of the games you know, become incrementally more significant and important depending on what happens afterwards. And on the other side of it, if you look back, if you could have made one more play, on the other side of it against USC, where that might have left the Beavers an opportunity to maybe play in the Pac-12 title game. And unfortunately, Caleb Williams, whom they contained better than any other defense did uh, all year, 16 of 36, 180 yards with a Heisman Trophy winner, Trent Bray's defense and those guys that played on defense that night will always have that to look back on, that they held the Heisman Trophy winner to those kinds of numbers and to 17 points. Unfortunately, the offense was a little out of sync that night and turned it over too many times against a vulnerable defense that the Beavs, looking back, probably should have taken more advantage of. But you flip that to the game you're referring to against Fresno State, and 
a near miraculous come from behind victory in that, the one at Stanford down 24 to 10 early in the fourth quarter. So I think at nine and three, that's a lot to be proud of and not too many what ifs or if only this, if only that. I think at nine and three, this program has a lot to be proud of, excited about. And the sense I've gotten from everybody talking to guys around the hotel, the coaches, 10 wins, 10 wins. There's not going to be any sense of just being glad to be here and in any way overlooking a six and six team. They are from the SEC. But no matter who the Beavers were playing, Judah, I think the quest to be one of only three teams in history to get to 10 is pretty important to these guys. Mike Parker joining us on the BFT. All that said, Mike, uh, the ninth win was pretty amazing as well. Uh, have you come down yet from the win over Oregon? Well, not really, because I hear the calls every once in a while from the game. And, you know, the whole uh, musical uh, rhetorical question, I suppose, from Elton John that immediately came to mind from Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. He sings eloquently, when are you going to come down? When are you going to land? Those are two great musical questions. And I remember thinking of those questions at the time the Beavers had completed the rally to win the game. And I said, well... When are you going to come down? I don't know if I ever will. When are you going to land? I still haven't. I'm glad the Beavers have landed in Vegas with a chance to get to 10. But that was an unbelievable uh, spectacle to see the Beavers come all the way back in that and running the football and doing it. Whoever would have thought in the day and age in which we live that the Beavers could, could mount that kind of rally without completing a pass or even attempting one. It was an incredible testament to the running game, to the running backs, the depth in the running back room, to Jim Mahalchuk's work on the offensive line. For those guys, even when Oregon knew what was coming, to just impose their will and keep running it, keep running it. And even though they had some short fields to work with, Oregon still knew what was coming and couldn't stop it. It was one of the highlights in the 24 years I've had with the Beavs that uh, I'll never forget. When are you going to come down? When are you going to land? That's that's a great <laughs> line. And, you know, it's it's hard to, to go there from here, but there is a lot up in the air. There is a lot unresolved with the Pac-12 conference as a whole now, Mike, uh, coming out of yesterday's decision of UCLA and the, the UC Board of Regents to approve, with stipulations, the UCLA departure to the Big Ten Conference. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that now that we have that finality and clarity that uh, the pack whatever conference is going to be sans Trojans, sans Bruins starting in 24? I always felt that that was a mere formality, Judah. I didn't think there was any, any scenario whereby UCLA and or USC would stay. They're not. I knew, we knew that was pretty much a feat of home play at the time that it, that it was announced in late June. And so the, the stamp of officialdom or whatever yesterday was didn't really, to me, change anything. It is interesting to see, to me now, that we're back to being a Pac-10 conference officially now, and whether it will remain a Pac-10, whether it will be splintered further, I certainly hope not, and I don't believe that it will, given the access to the playoff now with the CFP expanding to 12 teams to the media rights contract that Wilner and your own, you know, John Canzano and John Wilner have done such a great job keeping us abreast and apprised of all of the developments along those lines. Wilner comes in uh, in his latest piece with, because the Pac-12 is last, the number could actually be, you know, there was some thought they might lose leverage being last. But the fact that everybody else is tied up 
is Wilner's major point for quite a few years, that if some of the new entities who want to get involved in media rights and in the streaming of games and so on, this is the only space they're going to have to do it for quite a few years. I think that actually gives the Pac-12 a bit of a leverage advantage to get a pretty good number that I think will make the, the, the rest of the 10 feel pretty good about where they are. And there might even be things going on uh, with respect to possibly expanding into the San Diego market and somewhere else that could still keep uh, the conference viable as a 12-team entity. So I've, I've been nervous. You know, I've been uh, unsettled, as I think we all have for months, with respect to, you know, what's going to happen to, you know, I mean, will Oregon and Washington be next? What, you know, will the four corners depart? What's going to happen to Washington State, Oregon State, and the rest of the league? I feel better about it now than I did back in late June. I think we're in a pretty good place. Mike Parker joining us on the BFT. Oregon State, Florida in the Vegas Bowl coming up Saturday, 1130 from Allegiant Stadium. Mike, if you could, compare the attitude, compare the feeling around the program going into the bowl game this year to where it was at last year, uh, seven wins season a year ago, touchdown favorites, although I know you know nobody pays attention to the betting lines uh, technically, but they were touchdown favorites with Utah State uh, playing in an NFL stadium, and it didn't quite you know bring out the performance Beaver fans were hoping for. Do, do you get a different vibe and a different feeling around the program now that they're on nine wins going for double digits against a, uh, I, an opponent yeah. from the SEC? Judah, I think that that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, you, you touched on the two biggest aspects. The 10-win opportunity has gotten everybody's full attention. And the opponent, now I realize a few, a few folks have looked askance at Florida's record is 6-6, six and six. You know, you go nine and three and you have the kind of year you had, you get a six and six opponent. Forget that. Forget that. You're getting a blue blood SEC opponent that is a little bit down right now. And they've got, they're in a bit of flux with all of the the players into the portal and several declaring for the NFL draft. But they're a proud SEC program. This is their 48th bowl game. They've won three national championships. They, the guys that are here are ultra talented. They have a 415. Let me say it again: a 415 pound nose tackle. I thought it was a uh, a typo. <laughs> I, I double and triple checked it, and finally talked to a couple of players who went to the Fremont experience last night in in Old Town Vegas, and they said, "Yeah, we saw number 21. He occupied half the street. It appeared, <laughs> and he makes so so the offensive line is, I think, going to be up to and ready to be challenged by." A defense that did some good things down the stretch, stopping to run. Now, not consistently. They, they've had an up-and-down kind of year. They beat Utah in the season opener. They're playing a guy. It's so I've never done this before in my life. Two things. I've never written down, you know, 6'5", 415. I've written down 6'5", 350s, 360. I mean, I've had some guys in the upper threes. I've never in, in all my life in preparing for a game when putting together my depth charts and so on, Six five, four fifteen, four fifteen. Again, I just I couldn't believe it. But he is a full four hundred fifteen pounds. And I've also never this late in the year when I got to the quarterback position. Go to the stats page. Let's see how many passes are so well. They Jack Morris the third hasn't taken a snap this year. I've never done that either. I mean, here we are into a thirteenth game uh, for. Florida, and they do not have a quarterback playing in this game that's taken a snap. 
the problem with, with thinking that, oh, therefore, oh, the Beavers can call their number, they'll win this thing handily. Jack Morris III is a four-star recruit. He was identified early by Ryan Day at Ohio State as a guy they wanted and brought in. They thought he was going to be one of the next to be a big-time star for them. He got a little impatient playing behind some great talent there and transferred out. But he is a four-star, legit, big-arm, strong-arm recruit who's had all of this time to get all the reps with the number one offense, and I expect him to be able to do some things. You know, you don't have that kind of cachet, that kind of talent, unless you're good. And you've got two running backs, too, and they've got one of the better freshman running backs in the country. And I say one of the better because we know where the best resides. <laughs> he resides on the Beavers roster. Damian Martinez, 30 yards shy of 1,000. He's been practicing. I expect him to be able to play and get to that number. But they've got uh, uh, the freshman, a freshman running back, in uh, Trevez Etienne, who is leading the country among true freshmen in terms of yards per carry, even a little bit better than that of Damian. And another running back in kind of a two-pronged attack that uh, Montrell Johnson Jr., who averages nearly six yards per carry. So they run the ball well. Who knows how they're going to throw it, but they've got a four-star quarterback throwing it. So all of that said, an SEC opponent trying to get to 10 wins, the bitterness of losing, I think, last year when maybe they weren't as as locked in and prepared as they needed to be. I don't worry about any of that come Saturday here. You know, Mike, I've, I, I'm trying to dismiss the headlines I see that Oregon State's got to play a little defense when it comes to Damian Martinez. It's in this world of NIL, like anybody could come after Damian and he could leave at any time. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really buy into that. Uh, am I being naive or or do you think Beaver culture and, and the NIL infrastructure from what you know, and obviously it's still a, a maturing world out there, but then also what you know of Damian Martinez, like, uh, is, is there viability to these narratives out there that the Beavers got to play some defense on some outside schools wanting to poach their talent like Damian? I do think there's something to it. Uh, I would be, it would be utterly, I think, utterly naive to believe that, that everything you just touched on, Damian's character himself, his, his, the coaching staff and the culture that Jonathan's created the tremendous year that he had, and he can have visions, I think, of four or however many 1,000-yard seasons as long as he suits up with the Beavers behind Jim Mahalchik's offensive line. I know he, he loves it here, and I know that, you know, even now, unless something's happened today that I haven't seen, everybody that I've talked to down here, I've talked to coaches from the UNLV staff who've come to practice, and the thing they marvel most about, that staff, by the way, Marcus Arroyo and his staff, blown out and new coaches in. So I've talked to several of those coaches from UNLV who've come to observe the Beavers' practices, a couple of them former Oregon State assistants, in fact. But they have said the most amazing thing to them is, as of a couple of days ago anyway, yesterday, only one Oregon State player has entered the portal. And that may have changed, and if you, you know more than I do, but that would be Chance Nolan who looked at the – the quarterback situation, whereas so many other schools, including the the opponent, Florida, have had multitude, the multitudinous players going into the portal. So that does speak to the continuity, the stability, the buy-in, the culture, all of those things that Jonathan has fostered. That all said, <laughs> the reality of poaching, the reality of tampering, the reality of back-channel communications, I have little doubt that all of that stuff 
is going on, has been going on. And so, yes, I think to say the Beavers need to be prepared and, well, we've got the best culture here. No one would ever want to leave us. Well, I mean, they're not. Believe me, I I know enough from the people involved that they're aware of, of uh, of possible scenarios that could look fairly attractive even to the best of young men with all the great intentions. And so I, I expect that they're fully prepared to, to deal with it as, as they need to. And I think, I do think in the end it's going to work out. Okay. But to say that it isn't happening or it could never happen would be naive as you're suggesting. And I, and I, so I think the Beavers are prepared to deal with it uh, as they need to when the situation, if it does arise, they'll be ready to deal with it properly. Mike Parker, voice of the Beavers, joining us a moment more on the BFT, newbie in for Canzano. Mike Leach passed away Monday night. Mike, uh, I know, you know you've know you got your radio show. You've had a, a, a chance to process it, I'm sure. But what are your memories of Coach, and uh, how have you gone about kind of processing and, and uh, talking about his legacy as he was a one-of-one one in this conference and, and in college football? You know, it, it's interesting, Judah. You know, there was talk, as you may recall, that Mississippi State could have indeed been the Beavers' opponent in this bowl game. In fact, I was thinking it was going to be Mississippi State and Oregon State. As we were thinking about the Las Vegas Bowl, I saw quite a few projections that were indicating that would be the matchup. And I remember two things. One, I didn't really like it because... The Beavers had lost to Mike Leach head-to-head six straight times. (laughs) You know, Mike Riley got him in 2012 and 2013, Mike's first two years, Leach's first two years in Pullman, and then Mike won the next eight. And it didn't matter who was quarterbacking. It didn't matter who the Beavers' D coordinator was. It didn't matter. (laughs) The Cougs were just going to throw the ball all over the place and beat the Beavers. It didn't matter if you had an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter as the Beavers did in 2019 in a game that still hurts me. It still hurts me to this day to see Borgie score in the last play of the game. People, you know, should Jonathan have punted there? No, because he was going to score no matter what. Jonathan, his only chance to win the game was to get a first down on fourth and seven. And by then, Jake Luton's hand was already broken. He didn't have uh, – the pass was incomplete. That put the ball back in Mike's offense, and they just, Anthony Gordon, marched down and scored. It was one of the brutal losses of all time. That said, it's a testament to how great Mike Leach was, what a brilliant man he was. We'll never see anybody like him in sports, let alone, you know, the Pac-12 or our college football. His, his interest level, his curiosity. I had some ambivalence about him and sometimes the way he would trot off and be dismissive of reporters and even kind of feud with reporters a little bit and to me not really play the media game that I felt he was disrespectful at times towards people in the profession. I didn't like that about him, but the more I thought about it and the more I thought about him, I'm not sure that that type of interaction, it's almost, it's not as though it was beneath him from, a, from an arrogant standpoint. I don't think he viewed it that way. His mind was so active and so full that to engage in, in in entities of, of small talk, you know, as at a halftime exit interview, he, he just couldn't really function in that world. <laughs> His mind was thinking about what yeah. he was going to say to the team when he got in there or what would Geronimo be thinking down 12 <laughs> at halftime or whatever. I mean, I, I just I, – I, I'm pained. I'm saddened by the loss of, of an absolute gem, genius, innovator – 
touched every level of football. All of the things and the tributes that have been pouring in are well-deserved. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a perfect system in college football or in the game of football, but what system he had, he did perfect. And it was a thing of, of, of pain to watch it when it was beating you, but it was a thing of beauty to see what he found through all his years of putting together an offense that was really unstoppable and that little sheet of white paper he'd pull out of his pocket and call a player to <laughs> in these days of gigantic charts and analytics and all that. That yeah. man had simplified the game in a way that was uh, – beautiful to watch when it was functioning mike i love that and thanks so it's great to hear your voice thanks for joining us have a wonderful call on saturday great to be on with you again judah and i thank you gosh i can't believe that the last time we talked was prior to the montana State game. <laughs> it's been a fun ride yes, it, thanks for bringing me back on i appreciate it judah thank you got you. it mike parker will bounce the break and come back on the bft